Listening to this podcast, this is Brandon Ellis with Elatech uh, and Beth Elliott. Hi guys, how are you today, Brandon? Doing good, Beth. So today is season one, episode six. Six already? Yeah, the That's... sixth podcast of industrial automation. It doesn't have to. And so I want to thank everybody. We've been having a, a really good amount of downloads and and interaction with you guys, and so we're having a lot of fun. And I appreciate you all taking time to uh, be a part of this uh, thing and, and have fun with us. Hopefully you're learning some stuff with us uh, and then also sharing with, with people that you know, spreading That's the right. word. That's right. So what are we going to talk today about, Brandon? I think it's the Thanksgiving season. So uh, to this episode, we're going to name it uh, Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to be hopeless. Hopeless, yeah. That doesn't sound like a very good Thanksgiving theme, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be no. hopeless, which means it can be hopeful. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're coming into Thanksgiving. Actually, when this hits, it will be Thanksgiving week. So hopefully everyone that's listening to this has uh, is preparing for a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving time with family. I know there's a lot of question marks this Thanksgiving because right. of, uh, of this corona pandemic that we're all dealing with. Uh, but hopefully uh, when this episode finds you that everything's good with you and good with your family and everyone's healthy. So far, our family's healthy and our, our, our employees are healthy. And I think for the most so, part, our customers are healthy. And so for that, we're really thankful. Yes, yes. And so I think we want to focus on the positivity That's right. of what's going, you know, you got to find something positive. You so. know, the last few podcasts that we've done, I think we've mentioned trying to be positive. Yes. Um, because this has been a crazy, crazy year. Who would have ever known that 2020, you know, the year to see clearly. Boy, I don't, I didn't want to see this clearly. Did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> this is, th- I was happy being less clear, I think. So we're, uh, in fact, uh, at, I was having a conversation with one of the, the ladies at our church about the upcoming planning for Christmas, the Christmas programs for the kids and things yeah. of that nature. And I'm one of the musicians. And so, what do you, uh, what do you play? I, I play a, a plethora. Okay. Of That's very nice. You like that word? I do. I actually learned that from the movie Three Amigos that Chevy <laughs> Chase and Martin Short. <laughs> Steve Martin, I think, was the other one. Yep. Anyway, yeah, I play guitar, I play uh, uh, drums, and I, and I play bass. All right. Uh, I'm probably, of the three of those, uh, I struggle most on the bass, but but guitar is my certainly my first instrument. But anyway, she was asking me, "Have you heard anything about the upcoming?" And I said, "Of course, in jest. I think we're going to skip Christmas this year and just focus on New Year's Eve <laughs> uh, because we're ready for 2021." Yes. Say, you know, let's let's put that in the in the rearview mirror and move on. Uh, so we want to make sure though that we are thankful, and we are very thankful. We're thankful to our customers. We're, yes, I'm very thankful to our employees and their hard work this year. As we've dealt with a lot of a lot of things, a lot um, of uncertainty, uncertainty, working remotely, uh, trying to keep that. up with all the rules and stay healthy and clean and figure out new ways to to be respectful of other people's spaces and things of that nature. And so it's been a challenging year for a lot of folks, but 
But let's go ahead. Let's let's go ahead and, and go through this. So so it doesn't have to be hopeless, which means the theme uh, that I was kind of asking you for uh, was to basically review some things that that we've gone through with customers that I feel like that our customers have commented in, in the recent past about how I'm thankful that we had this capability or we were able to do this project or or see this success and kind of talk about what those are because those. A lot of those projects, you know, it's interesting when someone asks me, tell me about a project you did that was really this or that or the other, you know, really uh, helpful or something or, or really a great IoT project or robotic project. Tell me about that. And then, then I'm just a blank. I draw a complete blank. But if you're just having conversation with me, as you know, uh, if someone says, you know, they, they were wanting to do something like this, I can recount, recount three or four. Well, that's just like what we did for this person or that person or these different things. And so it's interesting the way my mind works, at least as my memory works. So we've kind of gone through and tried to put together a few categorical yes. uh, things uh, and kind of talk about projects within those. So hopefully this will be of interest. I, th- I think so. I think the first ones we're going to go over are um, the IoT-based projects. So do you want to discuss one of those projects? Sure, sure, sure. We, um, Well, IoT. So IoT, we, we, was that our last podcast? No. It was a couple of podcasts ago. I, yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. The, the last one had to do with TEEP and OE oh, yes, and that yes. kind of stuff. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think it was the one before that we were talking about IoT. We've talked about it in terms of, and well, even the last podcast, we were talking about OEE and OA and all those kind of things. And I'm using the acronyms on purpose because you can go check that out That's right. in our podcast. But a lot of those things can be derived in manual ways, but they can also be derived, derived as part of an IoT system. Internet of Things is IoT. And so Industrial Internet of Things is, is what I'm referring to. And so in doing that, an IoT-based project, as an example that comes to mind is a fine a final assembly type traceability project. Okay. You uh, want to go over traceability, what that is? Sure, sure, sure. So the, the traceability portion, you know, as I've talked to folks, uh, customers, various customers that are in, they're endeavoring to have an IoT-based system, and they ask me, what are some of the IoT stuff that you've done? And I've told them about traceability. Inevitably, a lot of them will say, we're not even to that level. Okay. We hope for that. We're just trying to get connectivity to our machines. Oh, wow. I guess the IOTA, our IOTA product is just so stinking easy that I don't really consider this a second level of integration. Okay. I consider it kind of a pretty easy thing to do because it's point and click. But if you're using another means of that or you're trying to do it manually, it's it's nearly impossible. That's labor intensive. Well, it's also programming intensive because the way we used to do this is, and again, uh, so so let me lay out the concept. So in this case, traceability normally for me in final assembly situation, final assembly meaning we are going through the final steps of finishing the good, the the part that we're going to Sell. And so the final steps is usually in in an assembly line operation more than one step, more than one person, more than one process. Remember, processes are machines. Now, in the last podcast, and it bothered me so much, but I, I just that day had in my mind the word defect stuck in my mind. And I was talking about machine faults and it kept saying defect. And I corrected myself a couple of times, but I was, as I re-listened to the podcast, I said it again and again and again. And I just had defect in my list. Defect is a product problem. Not a process. Not a process problem. Process problems are faults, usually, is how we talk to them. With the so, machines. With the machines. Mm-hmm. So a process is the machine, usually. Or a human 
thing, but it's an action, actionable thing that's going on. It's not, it's an activity that's being enacted upon the product. Okay. Okay. So the product is the car. I'll use car again. The product is the car. The process is putting the tire on, securing the lug nuts of the tire. So if you, if you do that wrong, this fastening process, you have a fault in your process. If it damages the lug nut or the stud or whatever, the tire, then you've created a defect of the product. Okay. okay. And so defect is product. Fault is the process. Process. Okay. And and the, the, that's important. So forgive me for if you listen to that. If you haven't listened to it, I don't know. Every time I say defect, take a drink. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, give somebody a hug. I, I, no. no. Don't do that. <laughs> oh, that was too loud. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> it's a new normal. Don't hug. No hugging. Uh, give them a fist bump or an elbow bump or something. Anyway, so so that said, final assembly product traceability. Uh, so in this scenario, we had a final assembly situation where we had multiple we have multiple stations or processes. Some are completely uh, completely automatic. Okay. Except a person is putting the part in, hitting go, and walking. You know, moving. We talked about walk time and all mm-hmm. that kind of. Thing. Uh, or it's totally manual. They have a fixture. They're doing some assembly and that kind of stuff. And when they get done, there may be sensors on the machine to sense uh, things uh, are being put in the right place, that kind of stuff. But then when they're done, they hand it down. And there's traceability. So we're scanning a QR. You've got to have a means of identification, unique identification for the product. And that's why I think sometimes people think this is second level integration because you have to prep. You have to prep a little bit. Yeah. So your product does have to have a means of tracing it to know to di- to differentiate between this product or that product. Mm-hmm. And so a serialized barcode or QR code or something is a way to do that. So the concept is in traceability is you want to make sure that it follows a predefined process flow, process work order. It goes to process A and then B and then C and then D before it goes to E. Okay. And if you're at A and at B, but you skip C and try to go to D, you want to communicate with the machine at that point or the process, the operator, even a light, a buzzer, some kind of notification to say, no, you, you've skipped. We call that skip process. Okay. So in our, in our traceability, we refer to that as skip check, which we're checking to make sure you didn't skip a previous process. So skipping a process is one thing, but also what if you fail the quality checks of a previous process? And so process A, process B, process C, you go through C, but you fail it. So the machine or the process is able to check and it says this is not pass quality. There's a problem. Maybe it was a robot that was doing a solder inspection and inspected the solder wrong. Maybe it was a, a way scale system that's looking at something that says, I expected to see this much material and it's not there. Though, whatever. Something wasn't right. And so the machine said, you know, red light came on and said, we've got a problem. Reject that part. Inevitably, it made it down to the next station. Oh. That's the scenario. Okay. And so now it went, it, so that was process C. So now it's at process D and the operator introduces it at D and traceability says when they scan it, it checks back and says, did you go through C and did you pass successfully the quality checks? And if the answer is no on either of those, then it will not let it continue on. So we talked about defect flow out prevention. Uh-huh. So that would be a preventer at that point okay. because we're midstream, we're mid-assembly and we're stopping it from continuing to be built because at that moment in time, we know that we're going to make a perfectly bad part and we're going to burn up perfectly good labor, mm-hmm. perfectly good materials on downstream, perfectly good resources to make a perfectly bad part. So it's not a question of 
It's, it is, but it's not solely a question of will a bad part go out the door. It's a question of how much did this making of a bad part cost us versus what we could have made in good parts. Okay. Remember Teep. Yes. All right. So that's traceability. And, and, it's, and, and, and because we're checking back, it's built into the edge-based system of our IOTA. IOTA stands for Industrial Internet of Things Appliance. It's our product. It's a fantastically simple product, one we would love to work with you on, but it has this built in. What we used to do, and I started down this path earlier, what we used to have to do is we'd have to get all the PLCs, if they're PLC-based, on those machines and all those processes to check back with the previous one. That seems like a, it would take a while. It's not horribly bad. If you have one PLC, what we call a central, centralized PLC okay. processor, is controlling all the processes. Oh, okay. But that's not very feasible because a lot of times different lines have different processes. And sometimes this process was one that we've been doing for the last 10 years. And this is a process we just started. This one's 10 years old and has an old PLC that we don't standardize on anymore, or we haven't used that in forever, or it got built at another plant, or, you know, usually the realism is if every manufacturer, every time there was a line, got to create all new product, you know, or order all new equipment, that would be great. Not feasible. Most manufacturers are savvy. Well, they gotta be. <laughs> they gotta be. And so they, 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 if they've got equipment that this, we, we use this on line six, and we took line six out last week because, you know, last year or whatever, because it's not, products not being made anymore or whatever. Well, we could still use that one process, that one machine for on this new line. Okay. So let's integrate that in and not have to pay again or get a new machine built if that machine's still usable, it can be retooled or things of that nature. So that makes that difficult because you have potentially incompatible PLCs. Maybe they're legacy. Maybe they're just different. Maybe they just don't talk, don't support the same kind of things. And so it was always a challenge. And that, that challenge has gone back two decades for me. The fact that IOTA can talk to multiples and legacy devices makes that easier. Now, this isn't supposed to be a sales pitch for IOTA, but that's the reason why I want to give reason as to why I don't feel like this is a second level integration. Because if you're an Allen Bradley person and you know what PLC 5s are, we support that. Is that an old one? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're a Siemens person and you know what S5 is, we support that. We will connect to those things. But at the same time, if you're Allen Bradley and you're talking about Control logics, compact logics, guard logics, all of that kind of stuff. That's the new stuff. We support that. If you're talking Siemens, that's S7. We got that. If you're talking Omron, NJ, NX, we support that. Or we go all the way back to the CS, which is an older platform, obsolete platform from Omron. And that's true across the other, the other brands as well. That's important stuff because that can save a company a lot of money. So in doing the traceability... It's second level, but it, it helps in a lot of ways from an IoT standpoint. The other thing, though, that I've been told is I am so thankful that I didn't have to upgrade all of my equipment and all my PLCs because your IOTA product supported these older these older PLCs. Wow. Wow, that saved a lot of money, huh? Oh, a huge amount of money. And the way I see that is... You can see a lot of times I think people, especially if they're not directly involved with manufacturing, they see savings like that and hear stories of that, of, oh, the manufacturer got to put all that money in their pocket. Oh, the way I look no. at it is that's money that they can reinvest or invest in people and their people to continue to grow and reinvest in their company. And remain and competitive. Keep competitive, add more jobs. All the things that we're supposed to be about in this great United States and the American dream and all of that. that That's one of the things was traceability. And then the other half of that 
is the integration to the upstairs system. What's that? ERP integration. ERP integration. Tell the listeners what ERP is. Well, we talked about ERP in our original IoT podcast. It stands for Enterprise Resource Planning. Okay. It's a software system. So just like we have systems... Like we're talking about here with traceability, where we're looking at process to process to process to process. Uh, in this case, the IOTA is managing that. Okay. To say you went through process A, B, C, and D uh, before you went to E and those kind of things and passed them. And those kind of so the software that talks to all the different systems down there. And to integrate it. What do you mean? What, you're talking about integrating the ERP system well, with... Well, the ERP system on its own is what I'm getting to. Oh, okay. Sorry. As far as its definition, it's a software that controls all the different departments and ties them all together. So when we say enterprise resource planning or ERP, we're talking about usually an upper level software platform. Okay. Uh, so let me throw out some names that people would recognize. So SAP, IFS, AS400, those, those types of systems that are business manufacturing specifically control-based software packages. And so they tie accounting to uh, shipping and receiving, logistics departments to purchasing, inventory management, all these different departments that make a company work, make a manufacturing. And manufacturing is one of those. And that's where it's always been interesting is because that's why the IOTA came to be is because manufacturing with these PLCs, we just talked about Siemens, Allen Bradley, Omron, all these different ones, um, they're on the floor and then the robots and the CNCs, that's a whole, whole nother deal. They're all on the floor doing the work along with the associates on the floor, uh, to make the finished goods. But they are, they're, they're disparate systems compared to the ERP based, which is a PC based system and putting PCs on the plant floor that we got into that with our cybersecurity and so all the stuff that's going on there. So a PC has not traditionally been a hardened enough platform. Compared to a PLC. PLCs, there are companies out there. There, You're listening to this right now and you're saying, that's right. We still had people that say, we still have PLC5s, Allen Bradley PLC5s running, uh, Siemens S7s, old, old, old 12-inch, 10, 12, whatever size they were, 8 to 10, 8 to 12-inch uh, Mitsubishi uh, A-series PLCs. Those things are still running out there, running machines and have been going since the 80s, There's 90s. Some horses there. Yeah. <laughs> And and you can't do that with a PC. It's just not built for that. Mm-hmm. And and so PLCs are built for it's just different. They're rugged. They're rugged. They really are. And and they're repeatable and for the most part secure. Anyway, so so the ERP system is usually a PC or software based, server based system. And and you need to tie that together. So manufacturing bringing that system in there. And so the best example of ERP integration then is we're we're doing final assembly in this example. And when we finally get through all the processes, A through D or E or wherever I said it stopped. The last process is maybe the operator takes a look at it. Maybe they do a visual inspection or something like that, but then boom, they scan it and stick it in the final goods assembly box. And the next stop for that product is out the door on the truck and to whoever the end user is. And so as soon at at that moment in time, you now have a completed finished good to let the be able to let the ERP system know that. For manufacturing, we just manufactured one. 
the ERP system can then kick off what it does and it can, it can increase finished goods inventory. It can decrease all of the raw materials inventory. It can let purchasing know raw materials is now down below because we just made this, this product just put us down below minimums. So tell purchasing to start ordering, you know, tell shipping we've got one ready. All these things that it can do to run the business. And the key is when is the part ready? It all, it all leverages on basically that finished good. And so that's what I mean when I say ERP integration. We've had customers that have, have thanked us for making it possible for them to integrate with that ERP based system. And a lot of times it was the folks in inventory management and ERP management or even in the IT group that are getting beaten up by the inventory department or the shipping logistics people or, you know, the department saying, we need this information. Why can't you get it from us? And, and again, it's a, it's a bit of a divide to get it from the manufacturing floor. It took longer for me to tell you about that than I thought it would, <laughs> but that's an IOT based project. So let's move on to the next category. Did you want to, uh, do another IoT based or just go to the smart pack out? Let's talk about smart smart assembly smart, pack out. Smart assembly pack out system. Yeah. So you kind of alluded to the final product. So what's the smart assembly pack out? So we on the ERP based system, the reason I I asked I wanted to break this out because smart assembly pack out systems are are, are smart pack outs. They can bring about a lot of a lot of cool things, but they don't necessarily have to be tied in with any IoT system. A lot of the systems, in fact, that we've done aren't. Usually on these systems, it's still, you're still doing a final assembly. And I don't know why I honed in on that, but that's just the way it happened. But when you're doing a pack out or you're doing a final assembly, it ends in pack out because it's final uh-huh. assembly. But when I think of these smart pack out, smart assembly pack out systems that we've done, it's usually for a, a small to medium enterprise manufacturer, okay. SME manufacturer. And I think so. Maybe they're not small, but what they have is they don't really want to get into. They don't have. They don't have so many processes leading up to fi- as part of the final assembly. They have one, and that one may be okay. I'm going to take a piece out of this bin and a piece out of this bin and a piece out of here, and I'm just going to put them in a fixture and put them all together. I alluded to this earlier. Maybe there's sensors and things to say you've got all the pieces in place. So from a quality check, everything's there. They may even it may be even semi-automatic if it's a little bit higher level where they actually have a uh, maybe they hit a switch and it goes slides into one of our robot cells and the robot does a visual inspection inspecting whatever or does the welding or soldering or screwing screws in or whatever tightening and then presents it back to the operator and at that point it's done okay and all they have to do at that point is is pack it out so these smart pack out systems can do a lot of things they can communicate actively with the operator right there on the floor. So they can have multiple part bins or pick bins, we call that. Okay. Uh, there's plenty of technology out there. A lot of it that we sell. We don't make, manufacture, but we resell uh, from partners that we represent that uh, allows uh, indication. So if we have multiple bins and we scan it in, and that's a bit that some people call that IoT. It can be tied into the PLC or, or we do Redline HMIs and we do a lot of recipe-based systems with Redline HMIs that do the same thing. So when you scan in your part or your, not your part, but your, your traveler, your router, your, your part changeover card or whatever that says I'm running this part now. Usually we scan that in. I guess you could select it. Okay. Recipe and say, this on the is, HMI? Yeah, this is the part that I'm running or something. Well, that would tell us, okay, these are the pieces and parts that need to go in. Okay. Well, now with the PLC, we can illuminate 
you know, grab this one, flash a light, whatever, oh, okay. to tell the, direct the operator to grab from this bin, but don't grab from this other bin. And then we also have sensors, pick sensors, that if they happen to grab from the wrong bin, we can... Alert them. Alert them. Shock them. them. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I guess that's No. Not- <laughs> we... We are not going to shock anyone. <laughs> okay. Uh, whether they need it or not. Uh, no, alert them in some way. So maybe we shock them through a buzzer or oh, something oh, okay. like that. But uh, yeah, a, a light indication, a visual indication, or a sound in, audible, uh, something like that. It is according to you know the customer as to how much of a how great the sin is if you reach in the wrong bin. So maybe you have to have someone, a supervisor, come over there and reset the machine. Oh, okay. See what you did. And the idea is to have a training moment or something, a learning moment, teaching moment, that kind of thing. But nevertheless, you can have these. The pick bins can be set up to where, from a recipe standpoint, you can grab certain parts. Again, sensors to put it together or maybe a vision system to inspect it. Uh, we do data logic vision systems like they're going out of style. They're great. Awesome. And they don't cost as much as the other guys. But anyway, there's plenty of vision systems out there. Uh, but but something is going to usually check to make sure that everything is as you say it is. That you can just pick the part and throw it in the floor. Yeah. That you actually put it in place where it's supposed to be. And so we do this as part of quality checks. Okay. And then once that's all done, then you're allowed to pack it out. And so packing out means putting it into the box. Sometimes it's according. We've had situations where it's a whole pallet or tote, pallet-sized tote, that you're reaching through some type of a scanner or, or, or pick sensor, large pick sensor or something. So if we see the operator reach through, we, we know that they placed it in the box. Is there a weight on that? To We've also okay. done weigh scale based systems. Well, you're, you're right. Where we're checking to make sure they didn't just break the light, that yeah. they actually left a part behind or they didn't leave two parts behind yeah. or they didn't leave negative one part behind. Oh, yeah. So we want to make sure they're not reaching in and pulling out. We want to make sure they're not reaching in and placing more than one or more than whatever the quantity is supposed to be. And we can do that sometimes by weight. Sometimes. Now, weigh scales are, they're, they're a bit of a, of, of a challenge at times because you need to have product that weighs consistently if you're doing a weigh scale system. We can talk about that later. Yeah. So we'll talk about that later. All right. So, but nevertheless, that, that, that's an intelligent, or we call intelligent or smart pack out. Uh, our pack out assembly system. Assembly meaning you're doing some amount of assembly before you pack it out. And a pack out system meaning that you're controlling the pack out to make sure they put in the quantity that they need to in the box. And that's a big deal for, so I'll I'll just hone in on automotive. We do a lot of tier one automotive and, and, and general automotive type work in the automotive industry. If you're a Ford or GM or a Honda or Toyota or whomever, and you've got a line, usually what they do is they, if, if you're running, if you're having a, playing on 50 cars coming down the line today, then you'll set out enough materials for 50 vehicles. Okay. And so if, if every vehicle gets one, then you should have 50 in a box. And if it gets two, you should have a hundred and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. And so when the 50th vehicle comes through and is done, the box should be empty. Yeah. If the box is empty when after the 49th vehicle, that's a bad day. But if the box is in, is full or still has a piece or pieces oh, in it not- after the 50th vehicle, my understanding is, is that's a really bad day because now they have to assume they missed one. Yeah. And so there's all kinds of things that trickle down <laughs> to the suppliers from that point of view and or from that point. And so these smart assembly packout systems help with that. Okay. Uh, we're verifying as best as we can. We're verifying quantity or verifying that the, the number of pieces that's in the book box are consistent or correct. Okay. And so there's a number of ways to do that with vision systems, with weight, with, with, Picks sensors with things of that nature. 
And, and so that's a, that's a smart packout system. And then if you're going to combine that, which we typically see that folks do, they combine that with a certain level of assembly uh, or maybe even just quality check uh, to say all the pieces and parts and everything, this is a good assembly. And then at that point, it's packed out. And so, again, I haven't mentioned traceability at this point. I haven't mentioned scanning a part or anything. The only thing that's recipe or part-based, it's not even really part-based, but it's it's recipe-based, is say that we're running part number XYZ, and we know that there's multiple pick bins, and XYZ gets these parts, but not the others, and monitoring which parts are being picked. Okay. And you had alluded to the hand, or the weighing, so uh, do you want to talk about the material handle handling and management sure. system? First, I just want to point out that I'm not the only one that talks with my hands. That I know. Was I'm sorry. That was me. <laughs> so... Uh, she she's guilty. So that said, the hand weigh with hand weighing is it, yeah. It's it, I alluded to that earlier as far as weigh scales. This is like an ingredient management type system, and that's our next category: material handling and management. And so, smart packout systems kind of derive from IoT based systems with traceability. They IoT based systems. Just to run through a summary here, where we've been IoT based systems. For the example that we had and what the customer was thankful for was that we had a means, gave them an affordable and easy means of creating this traceability so that they could, could advance the product, minimize outflow or maximize their, their, their defect flow out prevention steps to make sure that if a part is being made bad, we can arrest it mid process instead of in process. And then at the end, we ERP integration, we, we can add that to finished goods inventory, remove it from raw materials, do all the adjustments automatically and real time in, in that regard. And so that helped them get a really handle a good idea of their systems okay. and where things are going and automate their system. And they didn't have to wait a week or a to day find or out how many raw materials they need to yeah. order. Okay. Okay. Well, I think the most important thing was they didn't have to deal with We've got this huge order, the truck's waiting, and a, a, an ingredient or a part or something that we're, we need isn't oh. here. We're out. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, but, we're uh, out of that. And so it's, you know, they call it dollar holding up a donut kind of thing. Okay. But, uh, but anyway, and then the smart assembly packout systems is kind of a derivative of that in my mind because it is a final assembly type step, but it's usually a smaller one process uh-huh. step. It may include assembly or quality checks. It may even be have an automated aspect. But when it's done, we're going to pack that out. And so it's more controlling the process and managing the quantity on a local level. Local meaning right there at the at the point of at process. That one process. Of course, if you want to integrate that in with the upstairs systems and bring about an IoT portion of that, we can do that. It's just that. In this situation, the customer was thankful that he that he needed to provide this type of system to satisfy his requirements by his customer, the people he's supplying, to make sure his counts were right. Okay. Uh, without doing a big elaborate system, things of that nature. In this case, smaller company didn't have uh, necessarily all the the servers in place and all that kind of stuff to to do historical based things, ERP systems, that kind of stuff, just not really where they are. So this is the type of system we gave to, gave okay. to them. And, but it, we did it in such a way that we're working with them. And one day when they do go to the full-on system and they do need the full IoT integration, all these systems will work with it. Okay. That's nice. So they can kind of step up. That's right. Okay. Because that makes the most sense. It does. Yeah. Um, material handling and management, though. So material handling and management, to me, material handling is more of a manual 
management. The final category we're getting ready to close with is is automatic automatic material management. So an automated material handling versus just a manual material handling. So the smart pack out I just said was more manual. Uh-huh. It's controlling, kind of controlling the operator. Pick these parts, don't pick those parts. Well, in this scenario, we were handling ingredients. Okay. And we're not automatically managing the ingredients. We're managing the system that holds the ingredients. Okay. So there's step one. You've got to add the ingredients to your holding mechanism. So there was a what we call a refill portion. So what this was was there was there was compartments okay. that were locked. We could control them automatically. Lock the, the locks on the doors. They uh, the the materials the ingredients could be loaded inside. And then there was indication at each one of these. And there was I don't know somewhere between eighteen and twenty of these sensors. Well, the sensors, but also the the con- oh, containers, the compartments. The okay. compartments. Okay. Yes, thank you. And each one is locked. And so at one central station, they all surrounded one central station. And at that station, there was an HMI. That's also where the central PLC was. There was a scanner, cordless scanner. I'll tell you why it was cordless in a minute. Okay. Uh, and, and, and there was a weigh scale okay. system. So this one was a weigh-based system. Like I said, not trying to give away. No spoiler alerts here. We're talking about ingredients. Give away. <laughs> yeah. So the refill starts first, and that is we put the ingredients, load it into the system. And so in that mode, we're looking for them to take the raw materials, okay. scan the QR, the, the barcode on the raw material. We know that raw material is supposed to go into this compartment and not any of the other compartments. And so we would unlock that compartment, indicate that it was unlocked, direct the operator or the associate to load into that. We're monitoring the absence presence of the totes that they're loading with the chemical. We're not measuring weight. Okay. It's it's manual management uh-huh. for the most part. So we're assuming, and with manual, we assume that they actually, what they scan, they actually put in. Uh-huh. So there is a training aspect. Uh, and that, that if they scan this and what they're scanning is a, say, 20-pound bag or a 50-pound bag or a 100-pound bag of goods, that that's what it's going to be. Now, we weren't really keeping up with that. That was a thing we discussed doing. Okay. But we we set it up so that when they wanted to do that, we could. Oh, okay. Uh, because we know if we add a 100-pound bag, we've got 100 pounds there. And this will make sense in a minute. We know when it goes away. Okay. Or at least when it gets low enough to say- Need more. You might need more. And so uh, that's the refill process for each of the compartments. The reason the scanner was cordless is because this was these compartments, were these, these were large totes. So it was a big area, a bigger area. So you, you weren't going to take a curly cord that <laughs> connected scanner, corded <laughs> scanner, and get out there. So we had this cordless scanner. And so it would go out there. They could carry it with them and do their stuff. They also had a- We actually fashioned a-, a a cart? A cart for them that they could raise and lower based oh, upon nice. the tote. So the scanner would go with the cart. And so they would scan, this is this is the stuff, and it would unlock it and indicate, and they would open the door and slide it on in, raise it a little bit, slide it on in, lower it back down, whatever. Close the door. We monitored the opening and closing of the door. We would relatch the lock, and then they would go do that through the refill process. So that's the refill. Okay. The, then now you have the actual running cycle. So oh. now we've got chemical or chemicals, ingredients, whatever in, in each one of the things. And so um, they now scan traveler, the router, the part number, whatever they do to say this is the part we want to make. And so it, that leads to an, a recipe. A recipe. Okay. And so from the PLC standpoint, we know which 
ingredients recipe. are involved in the in, in, in fulfilling that recipe. It's okay. just like making a cake. Okay. Uh, and so we would then indicate green flashing, I think is what it was, whichever chemical or ingredient they needed to come get first and unlock the door. They would go get it on their, scar- their little cart. <laughs> Bring it up to a central system where the Wayscale system was. Now, on the HMI, we're saying, okay, of this ingredient, there's a visual indication. It's empty, so the line's down low at zero. But this is the green area where you need to be. And so they would begin to load, manually load this chemical in. I'm saying chemical, it was an ingredient. <laughs> we're loading this in, and, and it gets up into that space. And, and now we visually indicate, okay, you're good. You're where you need to be. And they would finish that up and return it. Once it returns, we're waiting for it to return. And then we move to the next ingredient and turn that on and so on and so forth. And so we, we would manage, help them manage the the. Just like the pick bins, right? It's but, real similar. But this is ingredients it's instead ingredients. of parts. But then we're also measuring it oh, at the end. Yeah. So when I said it's a 100-pound bag, we know, assuming they don't spill any on the floor or throw some away before it's done or whatever, we know where it is. Now, that's also assuming, and this is the reason we didn't get quite into it all the way, was because they didn't really need it. They liked it. They wanted to build the, the foundation for it. But there was not a, a step in their training and their process for partial bags and things of that nature. So now, all of a sudden, you have to have a way scale to really do it right to say, this is how, exactly how many pounds I'm adding if I'm not adding full bags only. Okay. And they had situations where they might add partials and that kind of thing. And so we just decided to hold off on it and just leave the, the functionality there uh, and go from there. But uh, but that's certainly a possibility. Now, the cool thing is what made that all possible, even though we weren't necessarily doing an upstairs ERP system, was all being controlled with our IOTA-based system. So the recipes and everything were residing on the database itself. And so in that... Well, yeah, because if a change comes down from the upstairs, right. they can take it and send it down to the... Uh, to the way the way station and mm-hmm. tell them you need to adjust your adjust ingredient your levels. Oh, okay, yeah, all right. Manage all your recipes from there. Right. Uh, the other thing that it it would do is it checks to say, are you supposed to be making this? Oh, this thing that you're scanning and saying, I want to make this. You know, let's just use an example. If we were a bakery and we're making seasonal stuff, so ah, uh, pumpkin spice. Yeah. <laughs> so last week was. Let's say Halloween, but now it's not Halloween. It's almost Thanksgiving. You need to be making the turkey-flavored donuts. <laughs> Whatever. Yummy. <laughs> yeah, ham-flavored. <laughs> Though, I tell you, I had a... You know, ham and with pineapple on top of a donut uh, might not be bad. <laughs> you lost me with the pineapple. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna shamelessly plug a local business. I hope I'm saying it right. Is it Cena's? It's Cena's in Halls. In Halls, Tennessee. Tennessee yeah. yeah. Now, 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 hold on a second. It's Halls, Halls Fountain City Halls because there's it's a really Halls, Fountain City. There's a Halls, Tennessee, in middle in oh West, West Tennessee, Tennessee, out yeah. in Ripley County. Yeah, 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 and they're 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 Halls officially. We're Halls Fountain City, mm-hmm. but anyway, outside of Knoxville, Cena's Donuts. If you haven't checked them out. They're mm-hmm. fantastic. They got great burgers too, but they have it's a it's a maple iced donut oh. with bacon. Oh, and. I definitely, I like bacon. Mm-hmm. I like maple iced. I would not have thought about putting those two together. Now, my wife would have, but I don't. Until it's done for you and put on a plate in front of you. And then I'm like pretty much any guy, I'll eat it, you know, if it, if it looks all right. And so uh, I tried it. It was fantastic. That, that I guess the salt, she, my wife. The sweet and salty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she talks about the sweet and salty and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, so if we're making 
a turkey flavored donut. That's what we're supposed to make. But you scanned the Halloween mix. Oh, candy, candy corn, whatever, (laughs) candy corn flavor. Then, then the upstairs system could say, no, 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 that was last week. This is not this week. You've gotten an old recipe or something. We don't want to waste ingredients on making Halloween stuff because that, that, that's not. So that's the type of stuff that this system was able to do. And so that's, but that's material handling and management. So we're managing the materials from the refill of of the components to how they select them, but it's a manual process. Okay. Okay. So there's really nothing automatic about it. There are, they, they actually had gotten quotes for this particular customer I'm thinking about. The quotes that they had been given, everybody wanted to do a full on augers and, and batch mixing and, you know, all this big thing. But this, this in their case really was kind of like the seasonal type stuff. They, they did their batches. I don't know. Small batch. Small batch type, type stuff. Okay. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, uh, this month it might be this set of ingredients, but next month they may actually remove this ingredient and add this ingredient and have a whole new palette of things that they can, can make. Okay. And so this gave them the ability to do that at a reduced budget. It still had the manual aspect, uh-huh. but they did, it wasn't like this was a 24 hour a day, seven day a week type production. I think they did their mixing like once or I'm sorry, not once, but twice or three times a week. Oh. Uh, at the, at the so peak. Automating it wouldn't make sense for them. That's right. And I think I said at the last podcast, some solutions are fantastic, but for other people, they make no sense at all. And so if you, if you don't need this full on automatic thing, then don't buy it. Yeah. But you have to have an option and they didn't, they, we gave them an option and for that they were thankful and the fact that it worked great. Yeah, and and they can scale it up as well, can't right. they? Well, I'm I always try to instill into the minds of our designers and our programmers. We partner very well with people. We focus on the partnership and the relationship because the way we see it, the way I see it, they are experts at what they do. Yeah, and they're manufacturing. They know every. I'm not going to know more than they know about the part that they're making. Yeah. What I know and what our people know is how to make motors turn, how to make conveyors move, PLCs do what they do, uh, robots whir, and in this case, data move, mm-hmm. and those kind of things. And so putting those pieces and parts together with their expertise is how we empower them. So you're working as a team. That's right. And so we are interested in the project, but we're also interested in the vision. Yeah. Uh, what would help from kind of from a consultative standpoint, what do you need right now? Why is that important right now? And how does that affect a year from now, three years from now, five years from now? Because if we can say, well, if you're wanting to get there in three years, let us go ahead and put this architecture together for you here, or at least leave a slot for it. Yeah. And we're going to keep that in mind as we're growing on other projects, working with you on other projects. And then one day, when it's time to flip the switch, we flip it. And remember, a lot of companies claim to do that kind of stuff, manufacturers, machine builders, integrators, whatever. But if there's always a statute of limitations, and there has to be a statute of limitations to a point. But remember, the product we manufacture still supports like PLCs from the late 80s or whenever, whenever PLC2s went out and 5s came in. I mean, that was a long time ago. So we try to always stay looking back because... Again, from a manufacturing standpoint, again, one of the things that resounds with me, I'm so thankful that you all gave us an opportunity to reuse the equipment we had because otherwise we could not have realized what we've got here. 
uh, because we had this this older equipment. We really needed to bring it online. It was good equipment. We just wouldn't come online. And we gave them the ability to do that without where everybody else was saying, well, you're going to have to buy new equipment for all these lines and all these lines and all these lines. And we we're like, no, you don't need to do that. And so those cost-saving measures make things possible. What's next? Do you want to talk about an automated material handling? No, this is automated robotic handling, the automated automated process. Automated robotic handling. So, yeah, we can be short on this because it's really what we just talked about with material management, so to speak, and with smart packout systems uh, and with final assembly systems, except it's totally automated. So this means you dump in all your stuff in one side, widgets pump out the other, the other end, ready to go, or, or maybe even in the boxes already. So automated robot handling, and that that's that's what we always say, but that's not really the case. There's always intermediate processes in there. There's always going to be a place for people and for jobs. And it's not about trying to eliminate jobs, but helping them do their jobs better. And so in this case, that's what we were doing. So we had a situation where it was a labor-intensive situation. Uh, there's, there's four reasons to automate. Okay. Uh, it, this is brandology. Okay. <laughs> oh, all right. We're so going to coin that term, brandology. People, yeah. Some people may not agree with my brandology. Brandology. But in, in my 20-some years, this is what I break it down to. And this is different from the, the three choices that you have when you're, when you're buying anything or getting anything. You get can good, quick, or cheap, and you have to choose two. That's what they always said. You can't get all three, good, quality, uh, quick turnaround, and a cheap price. You can't get all three of those together. you got to choose two. But this is different from that. Four reasons why I think that anybody should want to automate a process. Uh, and honestly, if it doesn't fall within this, I don't know why you're doing it. Okay. Um, number one, quality. So if you're wanting to increase the quality of goods. So so basically, whatever you're doing, whatever your process is, if a human's doing it, they can't meet the quality standards or or do as good a job or consistent the consistency stand, standards and things that you want. Okay. We all get to that point. You You can... You can cut a straight line with with a jigsaw or a bandsaw, but but a you know a CNC router will beat you or a, or a water jet in straightness. You know uh, those kind of things. Consistently, yeah. yeah. But a jigsaw costs thirty nine ninety nine. You know down here at the hardware store, and a, a water jet costs three hundred thousand. You know so so it, you got to weigh your you got to weigh it. Why why are you doing it? So so quality or consistency. So if if you need to if you're trying to do a process and you need it repeatable, you need it consistent, that's where an automation system may come into play. Uh the second thing is if you want to decrease your cycle time. So so sometimes uh robot usually robots are faster and more consistent, but faster than humans. Now, it doesn't always make sense to put a robot on everything. We talked about that. Sometimes robots don't make sense. And especially when it comes to decreased cycle time, because we get to a point to where the robots you're on, because it has limitations on how fast it can move, because at the end of the day, it's a mechanical system in mm-hmm. itself. So number, so that's, so decreased cycle time and, and, or increased production, those are the same things. And then uh, labor, okay. what's that? I was going to say more parts per minute. More parts per minute. That's right. So increases in your production. And sometimes you don't even have to be faster for that. Sometimes you just, if it's a tiring, uh, uh, like an ergonomic or Mm -hmm. uh, repetitive type deal, automating that means that person has to take a break uh, for for a specific process, but a robot can go on theoretically forever. And so you can increase your production, your parts per minute, just by taking away the need for more breaks because we have to do that for humans because we don't want to wear out our 
our employees, yeah. especially for certain repetitive tasks. And then the next thing is, is this is the one nobody wants to talk about, but labor reduction. And so this is, this is where I don't see it as labor reduction with automation robots. I, I see it as repurposing of labor. There's always going to be a, a, a spot, a place for, you know, standard labor. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely going to be a spot for what we call a maintenance troubleshooter level and, and, for and sure. those all. kind of things with automated systems. So we're inventing those jobs, creating more and more of those jobs and job creation uh, by adding automation. We may be eliminating a person from that specific process. But if we do that in such a way as to also try to increase production and things of that nature, you're going to need them in another place. Yes. So that that really is the reality. Robots, there's a lot of conspiracy out there about robots replace people and all this kind of stuff. Even the collaborative robots who are called the true people replacers don't, we're finding, they don't, you, you can't equal a person. We just aren't there yet. I don't know that we ever will be in my lifetime because it's hard to... It's hard to re- completely replace a person in every aspect of manufacturing. Well, somebody's got to maintain the robots. That's right. Maintain them. Uh, <laughs> Program. I feed mean, them. We talked about a feeder system. Oh, that's right. If you don't Upstream, have somebody. downstream. <laughs> you know, uh, material man, you know, as far as the material handlers and, and, and that kind of stuff, loading the, the parts in. You just don't have many factories. There were, years ago, there was a term for what we call a dark factory, which means there's nobody there. Trucks come in. They dump truck. <laughs> Something, some kind of image, raw materials in one side, and then they're popping out on the other side, and there's minimal people inside. In fact, they don't even need lights. Wow. So they refer to it as, and that's, I've never seen that. Okay. That, that was something we talked about years ago, uh, and I've never seen it come to, come to be. But uh, a dark factory usually means it's closed. That's what I would think, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's what we were, that was the movement back then, was we're going to automate everything, and uh, robots and all this stuff, and we won't we won't need anybody to do anything, and that's just proven to be totally not the case. And in fact, me just just really what seems like a minuscule operation by an, a human could be nearly impossible with a robot, such as a minuscule operation. Well, we have a situation right now with a customer that is loading and unloading, I'll say, steel rods okay. uh, from a from a process. Sometimes that steel rod, where they're unloading it uh, from the the holder, okay. Sometimes they have to. I wish you could see me do this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to jiggle my fist a little bit at my wrist. They just have to jiggle it, or maybe even roll it and jiggle it a little okay. bit, just to kind of work it out, just to get it to pop oh, yeah. out. Yeah. You can't teach a robot to jiggle. To robot jiggle. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. Uh, you can try. And I have watched uh, with with glee a couple of times where people have tried and, and it's, it's, it's inspiring to what they've done. But just that human element to be able to say it's not coming out, it's stuck. I'm just going to give it a twist and a little bit of a shake and pop it on out. That is very difficult to automate. What about like artificial intelligence and machine learning? Do you think it'd get to that point where <laughs> you could uh, teach it to jiggle? <laughs> I have a feeling what what usually happens in those situations is you see half the collet laying on the floor and the parts destroyed and <laughs> and you know it bent it and then it's trying to shove it into the hole that it goes in or something and <laughs> disaster. It's just ripping everything up. But uh 
but that type of thing is my example of, of a minuscule thing that you are going to spend a lot of time, money, effort, and probably fail at the end to try and automate such a minuscule thing. The number fourth, fourth, fourth reason. So labor reduction was number, number three. And the fourth reason to automate, to automate is, uh, is flexibility. And so a lot of times when we're doing automation, especially if we have robots there to change over from one part to the next to the next is, is not necessarily something as complex as tooling changes or, or, or things of that nature. We can actually just call different programs as long as we're doing a similar type situation. If we're, if we're dispensing glue or, or, or some type of sealant or something like that, uh, as long as the, the part is within the same work envelope, a changeover, the flexibility is, okay, we're dispensing this shape now, but you scan a new part in or pick a new part recipe and now we can do another one. And so those type, that type of flexibility to be able to change things. So those are kind of my four reasons of why you want to automate. Usually you can't pick all four. You may benefit across all four, but your goal okay. needs to be one or two of those. Okay. So you may want to have flexibility and increase consistency okay. or have flexibility and reduce labor or, or something along those lines. Decrease cycle time uh, while keeping consistency. But some of those in co- I feel like are in conflict. You can't decrease cycle time usually and increase flexibility because it's according to how much you're wanting to decrease your cycle time. If you're wanting a large decrease of cycle time, let's say I want to cut my cycle time, you know, by to by two thirds. Okay. So a sixty percent or fifty even a fifty percent decrease in cycle time, we're gonna to have to have mechanical systems. We're assuming that's moving fast. Okay. It's according to what your cycle time is. If your if your cycle time was already hours, maybe that's not that big a deal. Unless, you know, we're trying to dry and paint will only dry at a certain 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 rate. But if you're moving parts, we're talking about material handling for the most part in this this podcast, physics comes into play. I mean, you've got mass times acceleration, force equals mass times acceleration, all these kind of things. Newton's laws, they all exist. We can't do anything about them. And so now all of a sudden a robot may not be able to physically move that fast with the mass of part that you're moving. Okay. So if it's a light part... We can do that, but now all of a sudden you stick a heavy part in there for the flexibility option, yeah. you're going to have to slow it down. Or if it's going to be the heavy part, it needs to become more focused, more laser beamed. Maybe we do linear motors. Maybe we do you know more dedicated systems to move that type of stuff if cycle time's your goal. But don't choose cycle time if it's not really your goal. If your goal is reduce labor and add flexibility, then cycle time needs to be what it is. Yeah. Okay. If it gets a little better, great. You don't want it to get worse, certainly, but you should not want it to get worse. No. Uh, unless you're running a product on the flexibility side of things that you didn't normally run, maybe it just takes longer to run that product. But it, whatever that product is, your worst product case, it, they should stay with what you, you've got. You, you should. Uh, that's fair to aspire for that. But aspiring to say, I'm going to knock my cycle time in half. And reduce labor and keep my quality. And have flexibility. And have flexibility. And, you know, and, 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 on and, and on. I want it cheap. <laughs> yeah. You just can't, you can't stack up too many of those yeah. as your primary goals. So getting back to this automated rob- robotic handler, that's kind of what we did there. So we had an automatic feeder that we designed up that would feed parts to the robot consistently. That's important because the robot needs to grab them consistently. You can get in now into 3D vision systems that can the robot can desi- decide where it is on a stack of parts and go in and pick it and that kind of stuff. But we're trying to keep costs down on this particular one. So we're running a known shape of parts. It's coming through. It's being presented. The robot grabs it. In this case, it was a collaborative robot, but it was guarded. 
You've never seen an unguarded collapsible. It was guarded because it had a safety scanner on it. Okay. That would grab the piece. And there was a piece of equipment that was a manual process. And what they wanted to do, it was a... So, manual process, it was a repetitive type deal. So, that falls under quality. The The repetitive, yes. Repetitive, yeah. So, so consistency. The other thing that they did was they, of course, reduced, reduced it by an operator. They didn't really reduce it by an operator because that operator was now able to manage multiples because the operator's job, instead of running this repetitive thing that was making their hand hurt all day, they were loading the magazines. Oh, okay. And so now they're material handling in a safe and you know easier way for them. And the robots are just running. And so they're getting the consistency of what they need. And then the robot would actually also present it to a data logic vision system to do a final quality inspection, visual inspection from that. And they would either reject it or it would put it into the to the good box. Okay. And that was the main pack out. And so those are small level, small, small level automatic robot handling systems. In that particular situation, they were needing consistency and it was a repetitive ergonomic type deal, but they didn't have a good way to do that. So we helped them engineer the automatic feeder, put the robot in place, and then used the piece of equipment they already had. Oh. The piece of equipment worked fine. They had already established an ROI on that piece of equipment. The problem was they were getting inconsistencies. Defects were being caused by inconsistent introduction of the parts to there. And then, uh, and, and the reason it was inconsistent is because the operator was hurting. Well, yeah, if they keep on doing the same thing over right. and over again. <laughs> and so it was a tiring and, and, and hurt ergonomically draining yeah. <laughs> application. And so they were, they were happy because they got the consistency they wanted. They actually increased their cycle time because there wasn't, because they were having to take a lot of breaks just, just for being worn out. Yeah. And I, and that person probably has a much more fulfilling job now. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I talked to a couple of them and, and uh, the, the workers and, and the comments that I got was, yeah, I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore. Aww. So, hey, we're thankful. We are thankful. So. That's all the projects that I had on our list here. And I think we're running up on time. We're over an hour. Guys, I apologize, but happy Thanksgiving. Yes. I uh, want to do a quick shout out to the Red Nation Robotics team, uh, Team 4576. They won it all last year, and we're getting ready to go to the wor- wor- Worlds. Can I get that out? And COVID knocked that opportunity out. So we support you guys, and we want to keep doing that. So wish you guys the best. Yeah. And I am thankful for uh, our listeners for keeping on downloading and, and sharing. And um, I just want to say rate, review, and subscribe. Rate our podcast and uh, do a review and subscribe. And when, when you start rating and reviewing, it'll start popping up closer to the top so other people can discover us. Rating and reviewing. <laughs> that Guys, listen, have a fantastic and safe and healthy Thanksgiving. And we will see you, hear you, let you listen to us, I guess, uh, in two weeks. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, Brandon. Happy Thanksgiving, Beth. See you guys. (laughs) 